Equipping today's college students to make their four years count for eternity. This is the Campus Outreach Podcast. Really what we're going to talk about this evening is this idea uh, of being a fan, okay? Of being a fan. And you can think about it like what fans do. You've probably spent most of your life not being a fan, but being cheered on by fans. And what do fans do? Well, they show up on game day, and they cheer, they put on their favorite jersey, they make a lot of noise, and when you win, they make lots of noise. And then throughout the week, I'm sure most of y'all are fans of like different college teams or different pro teams. When you're a real fan, you know, maybe you check ESPN or you get updates to, to your app. Uh, you look at the injury report. You keep up with who's starting and who's getting benched. It's just part of being a fan. And when you're a real fan, you know everything about the players. You know the record, the wins, the losses, the too deep. One of the best examples of me of like a true, like diehard fan is this guy right here. I'll show you a picture. His name is Harvey Updike. Any Alabama fans in the room? Yeah. Y'all know who this is, why he's famous? Let me ask you this. Any Auburn fans in the room? Okay, do you know why this guy's famous? Eli, I know you know. Okay, so about, so about 13 years ago, this guy, Harvey Updike, uh, there's a very special place in Auburn. It's called Tumor's Corner. It's these beautiful trees. They're hundreds of years old. And every time Auburn wins, which hasn't been much, you know, this past season, uh, they, they actually roll it. They use TP and they roll it. They have this big celebration. Well, Harvey did update as a diehard Alabama fan. One day he went over there and he actually poisoned the trees. Okay, he put poison in them. They caught him in the act, but it absolutely destroyed these beautiful oak trees. He actually spent five years in prison for this, okay? But you see this? I mean, he took his fandom to the next level. He loved Alabama, hated Auburn so much, he said, I'm going to ruin and destroy a War Eagle tradition. Look, fun fact about Harvey Updike, he had two kids. Anybody want to guess what their names were? Okay, one is Crimson. Okay, he has a son named Bear. Named Bear, okay? But that's next level. And, and you see a guy like this, and like, it doesn't get more dedicated than that. Okay, naming your kids. Poisoning trees. But here's the truth. Even about the most dedicated fan. Has this guy ever played a game? Okay, he never broke a sweat. He never got dirty. He never took a hard hit. And he may yell and cheer and scream, but he never made any sacrifice beyond his voice. And he might watch and read and listen about the tide, but he never trained. He never conditioned. He never woke up early. And here's the sad reality about most fans, especially bandwagon fans. You, have, you take a few L's. You have a bad season. What happens to most of these fans? They fall off. They forget about you. They jump off the bandwagon. Because here's really what a fan is. And if you look at the dictionary, a fan is simply an enthusiastic admirer. Did you get that? A fan, just like Harvey Updike, is an enthusiastic admirer. And to some extent, we all want fans, don't we? We want them to, like, pack out the arena. You know, show up in force to, to you know, university stadium. I mean, ball teams want fans. Bands want fans. Celebrities want fans. But here's the interesting thing. When it comes to Jesus, and you study his life and ministry, Jesus wasn't very interested in gathering fans. Let's go to the next slide. Jesus was not very interested in gathering fans. Now, one of Jesus' very own teammates, a disciple, a best friend, named Matthew, made these observations about Jesus. He says this, when Jesus saw the crowds, or fans, he went up to the mountain. In the next verse, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he went to the other side of the sea. 
And then finally, Jesus sent away the crowds and the fans, and Jesus got in the boat. So here's something that's really interesting. Okay? We see three verses, and I can give you more, of this pattern where Jesus would see a crowd, he'd see his fans, and instead of walking towards them, what direction would he go? The exact opposite. He'd walk away. He'd escape to the mountains, to the sea, or even into a boat. See, Jesus didn't chase after fans. He didn't plead with fans. He didn't try to beg and convince them to follow him. There's a reason for this. Because Jesus, when I read the Gospels, was more interested in commitment than clout. Uh, Jesus was more concerned with dedication rather than popularity. In other words, Jesus was more concerned with having followers rather than having fans. So the question we're going to wrestle with tonight is, how would Jesus view you? As just an enthusiastic admirer, are you simply a fan or are you something more? Are you a real deal, actual follower of Jesus? And here's the verse we're going to look at to do this. We're looking at a verse that is very popular. It's John 3.16. I would venture to say if you knew one verse in the Bible, it's probably this. Uh, Tim Tebow really popularized this verse. In 2009, Florida was playing for the national championship. And before Tim Tebow ran out into the field, on his eye black, he wrote John 3.16. And believe it or not, 94 million people Googled John 3.16 to figure out what is this verse that inspires Tim Tebow, I have to know. So here's the verse, John 3.16. We love it because it's short, it's sweet, it's simple, it's to the point, and it says this. This is how God shows his love for the world. He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And the reason why we love this verse is because it's simple and straightforward. And it says this, there's just one condition for eternal life. There's just one condition to enter into heaven for all of eternity. You just have to have what? What's the word? It's belief. One condition, one condition only, is just belief. And we love this verse especially in the South because we think to ourselves, ourselves, well, I'm not an atheist. I believe there's a God. I know there's a big man upstairs. And I'm not a Hindu. And I don't believe in another world religion. So therefore, because my grandma goes to church, me and God are good. Because I have belief. I have eternal life. Maybe you pray before you go to bed. You read the verse of the day on the Bible app. And you're thinking to yourself, I got this. John 3, 16. I'm living it out. Well, there's just one problem with this. Because you've got to read the whole Bible. All of Scripture. And there's another verse in the book, in, in the book of James. And this verse is in James 2, 19. And the, the book of James would say this. You believe, or you have faith. Um, you say you have faith. You believe that there is one God good for you. Now pay attention to this. This passage in bold. It says, even demons believe, and they tremble, or they shudder, and terror. And here's what the Bible is saying. Because these two verses seem like they would be in contradiction, do they not? On the one hand, John would say, just believe and you get eternal life. And then James comes along and says, well, you believe. That's no big deal. Good for you because even demons believe. Let's try to make sense of this. Because this seems complicated. It seems confusing. It seems even contradictory. How can both of these verses be in the exact same Bible? Well, what Scripture would suggest is that, is that there's two types of belief. There's actually two types of belief. There's John 3.16 belief, which is saving belief. 
But there's also James 2.19 belief, which is the demonic belief. Now let me explain this to, to you. Because you might be thinking to yourself, like, demons, this is getting weird, man. Okay? Are you talking about, like, seances and Ouija boards and things like that? Now, I'm not trying to get crazy. I'm not trying to get extreme. But let me just explain. Okay? And, and first off, we'll just start right here. The Bible would say this. If you believe in God, you believe in a good and holy supernatural being. Does that make sense? The Bible would say there's not only good supernatural beings, but there's also evil ones. Okay? Anybody listen to Rick Ross? What does Rick Ross say about the devil? He's a what? He's a liar. And if the God of the Bible is a God of truth, then Satan, or the enemy, is a, is a liar. He's a deceiver. And so here's what Scripture would say. Okay? That Satan and the demons, they actually know about God. They know about Him. In this verse right here, it says that they know He's one. He's not many gods. He's one God. Believe it or not, if you were to give a demon, or even Satan, like a pop quiz on who is God, guess what grade they would get? Okay? They would pass with flying colors. Okay? Because they know the facts, the details, and the information about God. They know He's powerful. They know He's strong. They know He's holy. They know He's loving. They know He's gracious. Okay? They know the characteristics, the facts, the information about God because He's their enemy and they rebel against Him each and every day. But here's the second thing. Did you know demons, what else they know? They know that they're sinners. They know that they're rebellious. Let's go back to this verse, okay, in James 2.19. It says that they believe and they what? They tremble. Meaning this, when they come into the presence of a holy God, they know that they're inadequate, that they're broken, that they're sinful, they're convicted of their sin. So here's the point. You could be sitting in this restaurant right now and say this, I know a little bit about God. But I know John 3.16. I, I know a few verses. I say the occasional prayer, and I even know that I'm a sinner. I feel bad about sin. I somewhat want to change. I want to be different. I don't like living this way. You may even try to change temporarily. But according to James 2.19, the Bible would say what? Your belief is no better than a demon. And your conviction of sin is no different than a demon. Because here's what demons refuse to do. This is really what it comes down to. They refuse to love God, but also live for Him. Do you see the difference? They know about God. They're aware of their sin, but they reject this idea of living for God, but also loving Him. So you can think about it this way. Okay? What, 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 what does Kendrick say about the devil? He says what? He says pride is the devil. Right? And what is pride? Are you guys like impressed that this middle-aged white guy, you know, is like dropping, dropping rap quotes, okay? So believe it or not, I had to like look it up, okay? So I'm not like bumping Kendrick in my truck. But I'm trying. I'm trying. I could, though. It's J. Cole. Oh, J. Cole? So I kind of messed it up. There we go. That's what I get for trying to be cool, okay? But, but here's the thing. Here's what he's saying. When he says pride is the devil, here's what he's saying. He, he's saying when you have an inflated view of yourself. When you try to control your own life, when you try to live your way, okay, that ultimately is demonic because the devil said what to God? God, I don't want to obey you. I don't want to submit to your authority. I want to live for myself, okay? So here's the difference, okay? Think about it this way. Think of your favorite celebrity. Think of your favorite athlete. Think of, you know, the person who plays your sport on a professional level that is like your hero. You have like a poster on the wall, 
Or maybe it's like your screensaver on your phone. If that person walked into this restaurant and you said, what's up? You know, what's up, Tom Brady? You know, what, what, what's up, um, you know, Aaron Rodgers? Whoever that may be, are they going to know who you are? No, not at all. And you could rattle off every stat, every detail. You could say, I know your number. I, I, I know how many yards you put up. I know many, how many home runs you hit. I know your ERA, your points per game. I know your hometown. I know everything about you. Is that athlete still going to know you? They're not. And the point is this. There's a really big difference between knowing about somebody and actually knowing somebody in a real and personal way. The question is, are you content to simply know about God like a fan, or do you really want to know him in a personal, real relationship? That's not a fan. That's a follower. So what we're talking about tonight is true saving belief. Okay? And here's what I want you to see. Okay? There's a difference between head belief and heart belief. Fans know it in the head, but followers get it in the heart. And when you love God, you value him. You treasure him. He's the center of your life, but you also live for Him. You obey Him, not perfectly, but you make an attempt each and every day to submit to Him, to allow Him to rule your life because you want to follow Him. Okay? So do you see this? When you love God, it's internal. It affects your heart, your emotions, and your mind. But it's also external because it changes your behavior and your lifestyle. You obey Him. It leads to actions. Jesus says this, if you really love me, you do my commands. So here's the question we're going to wrestle through tonight and discuss, is what type of belief do I have? What do I most identify with? Am I just a fan of Jesus, or am I an an actual follower? And so here's the good news, guys. What we're offering this evening, and really what Jesus is offering, is for you to make that switch. To make that move where you would say, God, I'm not just content with admiring you from a distance. I want to get in the game. I want to follow you. Here's one way to think about it. Y'all see my family just about every week. Okay, my daughter Ellie is seven. Okay, and maybe 10 years from now, what's she probably going to start doing? Dating? And 20 years from now, she, there might be like some young man who's knocking on my door and saying, Mr. Weber, you know, I'd like to introduce myself. Because... Because I'm asking for your, I'm asking for your, you know, uh, I want to ask for your daughter's hand in marriage. Okay? And sometimes I think about this stuff. Isn't that crazy? This is just what happens when you become a dad. I I was telling someone the other day, I think I've officiated over 30 weddings for West Georgia athletes. And you want to know know what's crazy? Like, when you start officiating or participating in weddings when you're already married, you know what you start thinking about? As I see that bride walk down the aisle, you know what I think about? Walking my daughter down the aisle, okay? Just like immediately. And so one day, that one day, okay, that's going to happen 10 years from now, 20 years from now. But, but what if I thought to myself, it's like I really want to speed this process up. You know, Ellie's a catch. She's beautiful. I just need to incentivize some young men in Carrollton to step up to the plate and propose to my daughter. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get a billboard on Maple Street. <laughs> just outlining the different attributes uh, of Ellie's beauty and her artistic skill and her GPA and what she wants, you know, how she's pre-med and going to make you money one day. And then I said, you know, on top of that, I, I, I need even more incentive. So if somebody proposes to my daughter, I'm going to buy him a car and I'm going to put a down payment down for, for a starter home. Okay? I just, I'm, I'm trying to sweeten the deal. What would that say about my daughter? 
If I'm putting like ads in the paper, publicizing on social media, throwing up billboards, buying gifts, doing everything I can to incentivize people to propose to my daughter, what would that say about her innate worth and value? It would say what? Okay, we've got a pretty low view. That maybe she's lacking in beauty. She's lacking in worth. She's lacking in value. Now, this is all made up because I think you guys know me well enough to know. Okay, when it comes time for some young guy to ask for a random marriage, am I going to have a low standard? No, the bar is going to be really high. I mean, I'm doing like background checks. You know, I'm doing like a lie detector test, a drug test, fill out an application. I want references. You see what I'm saying? Like the bar is going to be really high. And let me ask you this. If somebody walks on my front porch, some slap with, with, with like a high school diploma, and he just says, hey, Mr. Weber, I feel love for your daughter. Is that going to be good enough for me? Oh. Right? If he just says to me, I admire your daughter, I'm a fan of your daughter, is that going to be good enough for you? Absolutely not. And here's what I'm looking for. I want commitment. I want commitment. I want, you, I want a young man to look me in the eye and shake my hand and say, Say, I'm, a, I'm, I'm committed to your daughter. Yeah. I love your daughter, and I want to live for your daughter, and I want to provide for your daughter. That's what we need. So here's the question. Why would God be any different? Why would God be any different? See, oftentimes, like teachers and pastors, they want to lower the bar. But what does that say about God? A relationship with God is the most glorious relationship there is. It's what we were created for. It's the most satisfying experience in the universe. So God's not going to lower the bar. He's going to hold the high standard. And the standard is this. If you want to be in a relationship with me, you've got to love me. I've got to be first. I've got to be number one. I've got to be the priority. And then you've got to live for me. And nothing else will do. So here's the good news of John 3.16. Okay? John 3.16 says this. God loved what? He loved the world. That means all people. It doesn't matter what language you speak, the color of your skin. You can be from a different tribe, tongue, or nation. It doesn't matter what sport you play, what gear you are. God loves the entire world. But then he says this, whoever believes in me, okay? There's no categories. You can be the world's worst sinner. You can say, Ben, I've blown it. You don't know what I've done or what's been done to me. And God says, whoever, anybody. And he says, all you got to do is what? You just got to believe. Does he say you're going to have perfect belief? Bulletproof belief? You know, never wavering belief? No, it's just believe. It doesn't have to be radical, strong, or perfect, but God is saying, just put your trust in me completely. Let's go to one final verse. It's not in John 3.16. It's in 1 John 3.16. And it says this, By this we know what love is. Okay? That Jesus laid down his life for us. Here's the last thing I want to leave before you, okay? Is that Jesus was not content to be a fan. Jesus was not content to, to simply watch from a distance, okay? Jesus got into the game. Just think about it this way. Jesus was in heaven, and he was in like the VIP suite, eating good food, okay, with God the Father in a perfect existence. And he looked down on earth, and he saw a game that was playing. And guess what? We were taking L's. We weren't undefeated. We weren't getting every play right. In fact, each and every day we sinned and had a broken, sinful, losing record. And unlike a bandwagon fan, what did Jesus do? He didn't just say, bump them. I'm done with the human race. 
been, I'm finished. He just can't figure it out. You know what Jesus did? He said, I'm not going to be a fan. I'm going to leave heaven. I'm going to come to earth. And I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to make the greatest sacrifice. I'm going to give up my life. And I'm like a fan. Jesus didn't just sacrifice his voice. He didn't just get a little dirty. He didn't just shed a little bit of blood. A little bit of sweat. A little bit of tears. Jesus said, I'm willing to sacrifice everything. To give up my life. To be in a relationship with you. Jesus lays down his life. And don't you know this? Don't you know this about your teammates and your coaches and your parents? Like what proves to you that your teammates really love you? When they what? When they sacrifice. What, what demonstrates that your parents are faithful when they travel to Texas and Mississippi and Arkansas to show up to the games? We know someone loves us when they're willing to give something up. Brothers, sisters, athletes, listen to me. How do we know that Jesus loves us? Because he gave up everything to be in a relationship with you. Okay? So this is where we're going to wrap it up. Now, now most pastors, most teachers, when they reach this point in the sermon or the talk, they invite you to make a decision. Will you raise your hand? Will you stand on your chair? Will you walk an aisle? Will you sign a card? We're actually not going to do that. Okay? Because what is Jesus most interested in? Does he want decisions? Does he want fans? No, he wants disciples. He wants followers. He's not interested in crowds. He wants commitment. So instead, here's what we're going to do tonight. Okay? We're going to take some time to just talk about it. Okay? And what I'm going to do after about 10 minutes is we're just going to give you some opportunities, some ways that we want to invite you to get to know Jesus so that you can move from just being someone who admires Jesus to someone who would say, I'm a follower of Jesus. Okay? I love him. I live for him. He leads my life. Okay? So um, what we want to do right now okay, is uh, we're going to go. Do we have some discussion questions on there? Is it on the piece of paper? Let's go to the next slide. And uh, Okay. So here's what I want you guys to do. Okay? Uh, I want you to break up in your tables. I'm going to say a quick prayer. I'm going to take 10 minutes. Okay? And I just want, at this point, many of you have been coming to AIT like once, twice, three times, four times. And you've heard different passages and testimonies and messages. And I hope you see that like everything is driving towards, okay, moving from just admiring Jesus to following Jesus. So we just want to give you some space to talk about it and just say, here's where I'm at. Here's what my next step may be. But here's what I want you to talk about. Like just talk about this, you know, talk about whether you're a fan or a follower. Talk about maybe a verse or a point or something that stood out to you. And then I want you to think about this. What is like one step you could take this semester? Okay? One small step that would move you towards becoming a follower of Jesus. Does that sound good? Okay, I'm going to say a quick prayer, and we're going to break up and have a little bit of discussion. Okay. Uh, dear Lord, we, we, we thank you that, that you demonstrate real love, biblical love. It's not just a feeling, a sentiment, or something warm and fuzzy. That's just romance. But Jesus, you show us real love because you sacrificed your love, your, your life for us. And so God, I, I pray for the men and women in the room that we wouldn't be content to just watch you from a distance. We wouldn't be satisfied with just knowing a little bit about you. Maybe for the first time in our life, would you give us clarity as to what our relationship with you really looks like? Are we fans or truly followers? The Lord bless this discussion. And I pray tonight, all right? That there will be many more students who experience you, okay, not, not just as a distant friend, not just as someone that have bits of facts and information, but we will become true followers of Jesus. We pray you in amen.
Thank you.